Hello and welcome to Harvest Church Podcast. Harvest Church is based in sunny Durban, South Africa. We are a family of believers who are passionate about Jesus. We really hope this message inspires you today. It is mighty fun to be back in this house. Mighty fun. Thank you for the welcome, George. Um, I must first honor George as who he is and the Gourlay family as a whole because this house means so much to me, even though I've moved out of it. Um, this is where my roots are, and so I want to just say thank you to George and the Gourlays. And uh, this morning, I've just been overwhelmed with people coming and saying, we've been praying for you over all these years without me even knowing um, it's really special. It's, it's a special community to be a part of, to know that people are interceding for you in the spirit. So um, yeah, it's, it's wonderful to be back in the house today. Um, I'll spare you with all the uh, good days and how you goings, and I'll, I'll greet you with a warm, how's it? Because uh, it feels good to say that and, and it be received. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's awesome to be back here today. Uh, so let's get into the word Uh, If you've got your Bibles with you, let's turn to um, the book of Luke, chapter 1, and we'll read from verse 13 to 20. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He'll be a joy and delight to you. Many, Many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he'll be filled with, with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years polite way of saying it. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to you to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until this day happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you the good news. I am Gabriel, I have identity, I stand in the presence of God, I have intimacy, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you the good news, I have purpose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we welcome your presence here today. Holy Spirit, would you come and minister to our hearts? Show us what you have to say to us. In your name we pray, amen. When I was first asked to uh, speak at Harvest, um, Roseanne was in Australia with me at the time and she'll be able to testify to the fact that I was not keen at all to start with. You see, part of my job in Australia, uh, I have to preach quite often to high school students, but to me, the thought of preaching to adults was quite terrifying. So after some deliberation with myself and of course prayer, I felt God tell me that He had created an opportunity for me to glorify his name through a bit of my testimony. And you'll soon come to see that that's been a recurring theme in my life over the last few years. So I called George. I said, yes, I'll do it. 
uh, is there any topic that you want me to speak on, hoping he'd give me something uh, to get started with? But of course he said, no, not really, just uh, share what's on your heart. So I said, great. <laughs> but as I began to pray about the message, God started to put some ideas on my heart, which aligned with a topic that has completely come to life for me in the last few years. What I'm gonna talk about today is a topic that I'm sure everyone has asked themselves or everyone has uh, thought about at some point in their life. And the question is, what is your purpose? What is it that I'm going to do in this one life that I get to live? See, for myself, it was in grade nine where I had to start figuring out what subjects I was gonna choose to get into the potential degree that I wanted to get into. And then in grade 11, to uh, try and decipher what degree I wanted to do uh, according to the career path that I wanted to potentially take. And then when I was in university and doing my studies in the penultimate year, trying to figure out what career I actually wanna do after this degree and whether I'm gonna do anything in there at all. But you see, these patterns in life, they continue. You're either trying to find your purpose, living towards your purpose, or living in your purpose. You see, purpose is a concept that I've only just started to grab a hold of. And admittedly, I still have a lot to learn about. But God has been continually speaking and revealing things to me this year through messages, conversations, and through his word. My hope for you today is that we can learn from the angel Gabriel in knowing that our purpose stems from who we are and whose we are and our intimacy with our creator. So I thought, let's keep it simple. Let's start with the Oxford, Diction, the Oxford Dictionary definition of purpose. It reads, it is a reason for which something is done or created or why something exists. I love this because it tells me that before, th before something is created to exist, it has to have a purpose. In the Bible, we see a clear example of God's process in creation through the life of Jeremiah. And if you don't know who Jeremiah is, he is a priest who lived in Jerusalem and was called by God as a prophet to warn Israel about the severe consequences about breaking their covenant with God. He was a messenger of God's justice and grace, and his, message, his messages brought about judgment and hope. So I wanna to read today from Jeremiah 1 verse five, and it reads, the words of the Lord to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. See, Jeremiah was created to fulfill his purpose. But I wanna just pause and emphasize something here. You exist because a divine creator lacked someone with your unique set of gifts and skills. And so he created you. God created you with a purpose in mind. You weren't created and then fitted into a purpose, no. He already knew your purpose. Can we all, but um, you weren't born into the finished product already. Can we agree on that? I highly doubt that Jeremiah came out of the womb and started to declare the Lord's messages of judgment and hope. No, there had to be some shaping along the way. So you have a purpose, which is awesome. But what is it? And how do you find it? 
I think we should start with knowing who we are before we look at what we were designed to do. So when we look at the scripture, the first thing we see God do is tell Jeremiah that he has an identity. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God knew who Jeremiah was. He had given him an identity. A little later in the chapter, God explains this to Jeremiah through the illustration of a clay potter. Jeremiah 18, verse 1 to 10 reads, God told Jeremiah, up on your feet, go to the potter's house. And when you get there, I'll tell you what I have to say. So when I went to the potter's house, and sure enough, the potter was there working away at his wheel. Whenever the pot the potter was working on turned out badly, as sometimes happens when you're working with clay, the potter would simply start over and use the same clay to make another pot. Then God's message came to me. Can't I do just as this potter does, people of Israel? Watch this potter. In the same way that this potter works his clay, I work on you. In the same way that the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. You see, clay is meant to be shaped. And when it's shaped and it looks like it's supposed to, it actually creates a cavity that can then be filled. And its identity actually comes from what fills the clay. You see, in this jar, it's empty at the moment. It's just an empty jar. But if I were to fill this jar with milk, it becomes a milk jar. And if I pour out the milk and I fill it with water, it becomes a water jar. I pour out the water and I fill it with oil, it becomes an oil jar with a bit of milk and water. Don't you see it's not the jar that matters, it's what fills it that does. It's not about the vessel, but it's about the contents. The same jar gets its identity from what fills it. The jar just needs to be functional to be effective. It just needs to be whole to be filled. But there's a problem there, isn't there? Because sometimes the clay doesn't turn out like it's supposed to. Sometimes the jar can fall to the ground and shatter. Sometimes it's not not even the jar's fault that it's been mistreated and mishandled, that it's shattered into a hundred broken little pieces on the floor, seemingly good for nothing, no matter how hard it tries to fulfill what it was created to do. Can I tell you today, that you may, be trying to pick, you may be trying to pick yourself up in a hundred tiny broken little pieces, but if you would soften your heart before God and you would pick up your identity in a risen Christ and Savior who died for every mistake, every mishandling, every mistreatment, it doesn't matter how many times you've been shattered. It doesn't matter how broken your life may look because Jesus came in the form of man to mend and to shape every single one of those little broken pieces dying for our inequities so that through him we would be restored to our intended and whole image that God created us to be. By Jesus, our image is restored and we can hold his spirit and it's his spirit that gives us our identity. So let me ask you this today. What are we filling ourselves with? Because ultimately, we're carriers of what we're filled with. So whether it's social media platforms, music, video games, sports, YouTube tutorials, 
We are always consumers of something. And it's our consumption that defines our identity. But why is our identity even important? Well, you see, our personal identity, it'll affect the way we look at life. It'll affect how we deal with conflicts. It'll affect who we choose as friends. And ultimately, it'll affect the decisions that we make. And I'll pause here and tell you that you are worthy, even though your situation may not look like it. If you have breath today, there is still more that God's got in store for you. And when you believe that Jesus died in the greatest, change, greatest exchange that we could ever imagine, and we accept him as our Lord and Savior, God sees us through his perfect and blameless son. And in an instant, we're made whole. We never have to try harder for him to love us. We never have to beg him to stay because all those things are part of his character. His unshakable, unconditional love is who he is. Once you become a new creation in him, everything changes for the better. You're given a new name. Your whole identity changes because you've been rescued and redeemed from sin and darkness and welcomed into God's kingdom family. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says this about your identity as a follower of Christ. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. I need you to know today how special you are in God's eyes. Because here's what this verse is really telling you about your identity in Christ. It's telling you that you are his own special possession. It's telling you that you are chosen, handpicked by the God who created the universe. But it doesn't stop there. Because this is what the rest of the Bible has to say about you. <laughs> that you are treasured. You are irreplaceable. You are loved beyond compare. You are worth dying for. You are forgiven. You are his child. You are secured for all eternity. You are set free. You are precious to him and you are set apart. And that's not even scratching the surface of it. But I want you to just think about that for a minute. This is you. If you're a follower of Christ, this is who you are. It's your permanent identity. It can never be taken away from you. It can never be removed, messed up, forsaken. This is your identity in Christ. This is who you are after a bad day at work when you get home. This is who you are when you make a mistake as a parent. This is who you are when you've been hanging around some people you shouldn't have been and made some bad decisions. This is who you are when you feel so isolated and alone with nowhere to go. And this is who you are when you've sinned so severely it doesn't seem forgivable, but yet to God it is. So let me ask you this. When is the last time that you've looked at yourself like you're God's special chosen child? How often do we see ourselves as unworthy or inadequate? But friends, can I tell you today that that is not who we are? Because Genesis 1 verse 27 tells me that I was created in God's image and you were too. Now, I don't know about you, but the last time I checked, God's not unworthy or inadequate. 
and he doesn't make unworthy or inadequate. In Ephesians 2, verse 10, he tells us that it makes masterpieces. You are a masterpiece of God, chosen and made by his hands. And so it's our job to allow him to shape us so that we can then be filled with his spirit. Ephesians 1, verse 11, the Apostle Paul writes that it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. See, in Christ you found out who you are. That's your identity. And once you know your identity, you find out what you're living for. And that's your purpose. But the only way to know your identity and your purpose in life is by having intimacy with your creator. See, in the scripture, after God gave Jeremiah his identity, he then set him apart. But what does this mean? Another way of saying set apart is to say that he made him holy. You see, sometimes we have this misconception that holy means perfect or always good Christians, not selfish, not prideful. But we are holy when God takes us into, our, into his hand when we give our life to him and when we let him shape us. Before you were born, God had set you apart. See, anything God trusts with his breath is set apart as holy. God breathes upon the dirt and you are inspired, breathed upon dirt. As long as you breathe, you're inspired dirt or holy dirt. The idea of holiness is not abstaining from evil, even though we should. But the idea of holiness is that God has trusted you with his breath today. But what are you gonna do with it? You would have heard this phrase before, and it's when Jesus prayed, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. When you look at the Greek and the, uh, the Hebrew translation of that first line, it refers to heaven as being the air that surrounds us. So what Jesus is really saying here is, my Father who is as close to me as the air that I breathe, hallowed be your name. To hallow the name means to use the gift of breath that God gave you to its fullest potential. The opposite would be to profane the name, which means to treat something that's sacred as if it were common, or in other words, to take it for granted. So if you have breath today, you are anointed. But it's your choice to steward it and use it well or to squander it. Squandering doesn't necessarily mean doing bad with it, but it could just mean not doing anything at all. So will you steward your anointing by giving it your best effort to use the breath that God gave you today to hallow his name? Or will you squander it? See, God anoints everyone that wants to fill their purpose in this one life on earth that we get, regardless of the arena. So when you walk and you breathe on the promenade, are you hallowing his name? When you breathe in your workplace, are you hallowing his name? When you breathe at home, are you hallowing his name? See, church, let's not confine our anointing to the four walls of the church and leave it there until next Sunday. But let us make every single effort that we can with each breath that we take to continually walk in the anointing that we were given, to continually walk in the purpose that we were given. 
let us use the breath that we have to the fullest potential in whatever area God has trusted us with throughout each waking moment. When you walk in your anointing, it's not just some catchphrase or magic potion that's poured on you. In fact, it's constantly living in the presence of God so that you'll be able to fulfill God's call and purpose on your life. And if we want to talk about living in the presence of God, we need to look no further than the second book in the Bible, in Exodus, where God uses Moses to bring the Israelites out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And he's taking them on their way to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. To me, that sounds awesome. Along the way, he's taking them through the wilderness and they get to this mountain called Mount Sinai. And they arrive at this mountain and the presence of God descends upon the mountain in the form of fire and smoke and lightning and thunder. The Israelites are terrified. Who can blame them? But along the way, Moses has had many encounters with the presence of God. And so Moses isn't terrified because he knows the heart of God. He knows what his presence is like. So anyway, the Israelites say, all right, Moses, you can go up and talk to the Lord. We'll stay down here. We're cool here. So Moses goes up and for 40 days and 40 nights, he spends in the presence of God at the top of the mountain where God gives him the Ten Commandments inscribed in two tablet stones. But while this is happening, the Israelites, uh, who have been left in charge, uh, of Aaron's been left in charge of them by Moses, they say to Aaron, give us a God that we can worship that has brought us out of Egypt. You see, while the presence of God was still on the mountain and they could see it, they had forgotten who had brought them out of Egypt. And so they started to worship this golden calf that they had created. And this angered the Lord. Now, I think it would anger a lot of us if we had done all that work and then someone just forgets about it that easily. And the Lord lets Moses in on his anger. And he says, you know what? I had enough. I had enough of you people. Your people are stubborn. They're stiff-necked. I've had enough. And he tells Moses, he says, you know what? You can have the promised land. Take it. I'll even send an angel before you to drive out the nations that are in front of you. But my presence won't be going with you. Moses, without hesitation, he says, but Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. I wonder if we realize the magnitude of this statement from Moses. I wonder if we were handed a promise on a silver platter. The only condition is that God's presence wouldn't go with us. Would we choose the promise or would we not settle without the presence? Moses understood that the promised land without the presence of God was not the promised land that he was in pursuit of. Moses goes on to say, Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, what else will distinguish us from the rest of the people on this earth? You see, the, the thing that sets us apart as Christians is the presence of God. The foundation of our faith is built on our intimacy with God. If we want to understand this word intimacy, it just means close familiarity or friendship. So let me ask you this. When was the last time that you felt familiar with being in the presence of God? Hebrews 13 verse 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, 
today and tomorrow. So my question is, if God is never changing, what is stopping us from becoming familiar with his presence? Where his presence is the everyday environment that we live in. But you see, to become familiar with something, it requires multiple repetitions. And out of multiple repetitions of spending time with somebody, you start to build trust. But also with God, he starts to give you fresh revelation. And that often leads to some form of directive from God. There's a story in Matthew 14 where Jesus appears to the disciples walking on the water. The disciples are afraid. They think it's a ghost. The Lord says, fear not, it is I. And Peter calls out to to Jesus. He says, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come. Jesus says, yes, come. And so Peter gets out of the boat and begins to walk on the water. But you see what I love about this story is that Peter asked that question, said, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come. He asked that question knowing that if it was Jesus, he would be performing the impossible of walking on water. He knew this because he had trusted him. He had spent time with Jesus. He knew Jesus was a God of the impossible. Just before this, he had broken five fish and two loaves of bread. Five loaves and two fish. Uh, (laughs) And fed 5,000. Are we aware that we we have access to the God of the impossible today? You see, if my dad asked me to do something and he doesn't give me any reason or explanation on why to do it, I'm probably going to do it. Why? Because I know who he is and I trust him. So that means when my father in heaven asked me to go and give that person a word of encouragement without reason or any explanation, I'm probably going to do it. Why? I have intimacy with him. I know his voice and I trust him. When my father in heaven tells me to go and pay for that person's groceries without reason or explanation, I'm probably going to do it. Why? I have intimacy with him. I know his voice. And I trust him. See, when you walk, when you trust someone and they give you a direction, most of the time you're going to walk in the direction that you're given, regardless of whether you know the reason behind it or not. Three years ago, I decided to take up rugby league as a sport. And all of you here are like, what is that? What is rugby league? That's, that's foreign. Yes, it is. It's, uh, it's like rugby union, uh, uncontested scrubs, no lineouts. Uh, you only get six players with the ball. It's a whole thing. Uh, but it exists, and I decided to start playing it. But a backstory to this, throughout my whole uh, high school career, I'd played cricket and hockey. Those were my two sports. After school, I continued to play both of those. And it came to a point two years uh, after I'd arrived in Australia, uh, rugby league was a big sport over there. And I thought, you know what? I need a challenge. I want to get myself out of the comfort zone and get uncomfortable. And what better way to do that than to uh, take up a new sport that you have no idea of and submerge yourself into a completely different culture. So I decided to play rugby league, and I remember, I still remember 
driving to my first practice, I was nervous as anything. I was like, what am I doing? This is crazy. And I got there, and it was the biggest culture shock I could have ever experienced in my entire life. I'd been around sports circles. I knew how they worked. I'd seen a lot of stuff. I thought I'd seen it all. And then I started playing rugby league. <laughs> and I very quickly started to pray. I said, Lord, give me an opportunity to glorify your name. Give me an opportunity to share about who you are to these people. And so I prayed that prayer, and for the first season, no opportunity. I was like, God, what, you don't want to use me? Come on. Anyway, so I'm trying to do good. Another half a season, no opportunity. I was like, maybe I'm just missing it. Maybe I'm just missing the opportunities. Got to about two-thirds of the way through the next season, and on a Friday night, at the end of every training, we, had, we have a thing called 90 seconds with. And basically what happens there is you give a brief summary of your life up until the point where you are now in 90 seconds. And then at the end of that, the boys get to ask you three questions about anything. So it's a bit terrifying. Um, so anyway, on this particular evening, the coach came to me and said, it's your turn. Uh, you're, you're on 90 seconds with tonight. So I was like, cool. So after training, I got up and I shared. I was like, this is me, this is who I, who I am. The boys knew that I worked, at a church, uh, I worked at a school as a chaplain and that I attended church. They all thought I was a Catholic priest, but that was a whole nother thing. <laughs> and then it got to the end and we got to question time. One of the guys puts his hand up. He says, which three of us need Jesus the most? And I thought... <laughs> I can either just name three guys, we have a bit of a laugh and get it over with, but man, I was convicted. This is what I'd been praying for, for a year and a half, an opportunity to glorify God in front of these people. And so the Holy Spirit said to me, well, tell them the truth. And I said, look, I said this to them. I was like, look, you may think that I sin less frequently and that my sins are less severe than yours, but the truth is that all sin is made equal in God's eyes. But here's the good news. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And what was supposed to be 90 seconds with turned into just short of 10 minutes of sharing about God's love, God's grace, and the Father's heart. In 2015, my parents and I had the uh, privilege of having a meeting with Angus Buchan. If you don't know who Angus Buchan is, go and Google Faith Like Potatoes. And in this meeting, I don't remember much from it, but Uncle Angus, he turned to me and he said, son, I see you playing rugby, representing our country in the green and gold. At this moment, I thought Uncle Angus's days were limited. He said, is it? <laughs> He's obviously lost his touch. He's getting, he's getting old. <laughs> I was like, that's all right. Shame. He probably, he probably doesn't know that I only play cricket and hockey and I have no desire to play rugby ever. <laughs> Seven years on from that day, I stepped onto the field making my debut for the South African Rugby League Rhinos team playing against Brazil.
don't live your life according to a prophecy given, but use the fulfillment of prophecy in your life as a marker that you're on the right track. So after this, I said, well, Lord, you've obviously got me where you want me. Now what? Because this is a big challenge. Uh, Six months later, the school that I worked at, King's Christian College, they came to me and said, Luke, we're starting a rugby league academy at our school. I said, awesome. They're like, we want you to be a part of it. I said, sure. In what capacity? Because I just finished my degree. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. What do you want me to do? Like, we want you to be an assistant coach, but more importantly, we want you to be the head of player welfare and spiritual development. So I said, well, that's pretty cool. Uh, That's got nothing to do with anything that I've studied. Uh, (laughs) So of course I said yes. (laughs) Um, The academy is starting officially next year, but in my position, I have the responsibility of what programs I'm going to put these young boys and girls through in the most broken community that I have been in. I get to share the light of Jesus and my sole job, my most important job in this role is that by the time they leave the school in grade 12, they know who they are, they know whose they are in Christ. It's obviously still early days, but I know that as I spend time in intimacy with God and I continue to trust him, I know he'll reveal the next step and I'll trust him to walk in it. See, when you don't know the reason behind your creation, your intimacy and your trust in God will bring about direction for your next step. God doesn't provide us with the full blueprint, but he will reveal his plan step by step. One of the most referenced scriptures in the Bible is Jeremiah 29 verse 11. It's in this verse where Jeremiah is writing to, he's writing a letter to the exiles, um, the people who have been exiled from Jerusalem into Babylon. And the situation is pretty grim. But Jeremiah writes that this is what the Lord says. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. It continues in verse 12 and 13 to say, in those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Romans 8 verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We serve a good God, a God that knows you, a God that has purpose for you. James 4 verse 8 tells us to draw near to God and he will draw near to us. He draws near with direction. It's our job to walk in it. I don't know if you've ever gotten in your car before and you've put into Waze or Google Maps or Maps, whatever you use, you put your destination in and you've clicked go and it's gone, ah! We can't start here. There's a problem with where you're at at the moment. I don't think it's ever happened to anyone, ever. The map, the GPS, it's not concerned with where your starting point is, but it is concerned with your destination. In the same way, today God's not concerned with where you're at right now, but he is concerned with your destiny. 
So when you're struggling with purpose, remember Luke 1.19. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent by God to bring you this good news. Remember who you are and whose you are. Find yourself standing in the presence, no matter the circumstance. And remember that you have been set apart for such a time as this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your plan. We thank you for each and every one of our purposes. Lord, we thank you that as we draw near to you, you draw near to us with direction. You draw near to us with clarity. We thank you that you've given your spirit to help us lead and guide our lives in the direction that you have called us to. Father, we ask that with every breath that we breathe, would you help us to hallow your name? Would you help us to walk in your anointing? Jesus, we thank you for the love and the grace that you have shown to us. Father, we thank you that as we continue to trust in you, that you'll continue to provide the next step for us. We pray this in your holy and mighty name. Amen. 